Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a Beverly Hills-based psychologist, certified sex therapist, and the founder of Modern Intimacy. Thanks for joining me here where I talk about sex, relationships, mental health, and dive into your questions with practical answers and real solutions. Each week, I share insights aimed at helping you build an authentic and healthy relationship with yourself, with others, and with your sexuality. It's time to get naked emotionally, mentally, and on your own time, physically. Touch is a healing antidote. When people live in trauma in their bodies, it can evoke a whole chain of events that creates a sense of dis-ease in one's own skin. And that is amplified when we factor in elements of oppression. Today on the Get Naked with Dr. Kate podcast, I'm speaking with Erin Johnson, who is an activist, a consultant, a teacher of closeness. And Aaron has made a lifelong commitment to use the skills he possesses to end racism. Aaron uses intimacy and closeness to blackness as a primary means to that end. And the tools that he frequently incorporates into his work are speaking, teaching, singing, photography, filmmaking, and minimalism. Aaron leads a mentoring program called Turn It Up Now, that focuses on elevating the power, talent, love, and work ethic of youth. He's part of the Holistic Resistance, a team dedicated to undoing racism and oppression through questions, connection, embodiment, and slowing down to see ourselves and each other. Aaron is also part of the Chronically Undertouched program, known as the CUT Project, and this body of thinking is born out of the development and tracking of the Chronically Undertouched Trauma Story, It's a movement supporting people of the global majority, people of color, to access healthy, nourishing, platonic touch in a culture that, in the United States, denies it at its every turn. Tender touch means seeing people as full human beings, and it is the antidote to the invention of the black brute archetype. Aaron believes that deep connection is one of the most powerful tools one can use in dismantling racism. Karen, thanks so much for being here with me today. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Mm, Me as well. It's an honor to be with you. It's really powerful. Yeah. Can you you tell me a little bit about what led you to form these teams and, and these different projects that you're working on? Yeah, for me, the biggest piece has been trying to be human. In America, ultimately, I think there's something that I think about holistic resistance, which is the first org that really kind of set us up to do all the other work. It's being able to like dismantle oppression at every level, dismantle it in ways that feels, you know, um, impossible and in places where it feels small and simple. And then there, the next big step was the cut project, you know, the chronically undertouched. This was my desire to be um, human 
uh, and that fine platonic touch. And then in between those, grief has been huge. So grief to action has been a huge part of us navigating both of those worlds. So for me, it's, it's constantly looking into the world going, where can I be human here? Where can I be human? That's why I continue to ask myself. Mm. I, I was really drawn to your work, um, especially the chronically undertouched program. And I wonder if we can kind of break down a little bit on uh, break down a little bit the research and, and the awareness that you have about the relationship between touch and race and kind of how this came to be. That's huge. I think for me, one of the tender places about this journey of of oppression and race and touch is that I found a pretty clear embodied lived experience where as a black male, there was expectation for me to not have platonic touch, that my touch in America, generally speaking, is sports, it's violent, it's aggressive, um, but tender platonic touch felt farther away from me. Even I think all men in America are impacted by this, particularly black men I found is like, oh, there's something else here. And so I did some investigating and some and some looking into, and I immediately jumped across, you know, the history of the black brute, the invention of the black brute, and how America invested a lot post-slavery to create a story uh, that says the black male is um, more muscle and aggression and uncontrollable sexual energy than human, and that narrative is still intact, eerily so today. And so as African American male, I started to look for other black men to have platonic touch with, other bodies to have platonic touch with, and tenderness with and vulnerability, I found this a massive response of like, I need it and also I'm terrified of it. Or I can understand you wanting that, but we don't have even a container for you. We don't know where you could go to even start that conversation. And that really kind of not surprised me, but really made this a big part of my life's work to create a conversation, practices, practitioners, thinkers, activists around this kind of big topic of platonic touch that is aware of how oppression impacts um, the stories we get to you know, see, visualize, and hold in our bodies as we live in this country as humans. And so for me, I it really was a a personal journey that's turned to my mentors and now turns to the public. So in, in your experience, what are some of the ways that oppression has really impacted people's soma, right? Like for, for people, especially men, black men who are listening, what would they notice in themselves to start to recognize that perhaps platonic touch is something that they've been missing or, or mm. would like to benefit from? Yeah, it's huge. Thank you for that question. I think most black men will almost hear this initially as confusion. Like what? We, I, I got work to do. I got things that what, what touch. What are you talking about? Like, and that's your first sign where this feels yeah. strange. Like, it's like, what's this brother talking about? Like touch. And some folks will be like, huh, I'm on to something. But then they think, oh, touch. They'll think they immediately their partner. They'll think of the romantic space. And I, and I, and I kind of throw in this catalyst of like other black men. Like other, it's important for us to have tender, thoughtful touch with other black men. And they're like, what, what, what brother, what are we talking about? Like what slows down? The, 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 the interrogation that, that will come up in their bodies first if they track it and then in their minds Compare it to this one thing. I rarely sit down and say, hey, man, we'll pick up, play some pick up, pick up basketball at the gym. 
very few brothers that love to play ball would be like, Aaron, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to, if, if I was playing high school and I said, I want you to put on some pads, I want you to run into the next guy next to you, we're going to call this football, it's a sport. I never interrogated, like, why would you want to do that? I never did. But when we bring in the concept of thoughtful platonic touch, we start getting really interrogated. Like, wait, 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 why, Aaron? Do you want to have this experience, right? So all of a sudden, the interrogate. So I think this track where we start to interrogate and ask questions and get concerned and maybe have fear, and where we feel completely comfortable, comfortable and safe, even though there's physical risks to our bodies, our health. There's studies coming out, and I'm going to be clear. I played four years of football. I ran track at junior college. I'm an active person to this day. I don't. I don't critique athleticism on the face of it. I just want to name. It has a toll on our bodies and how black bodies are put in spaces with no interrogation. But when we do something tender, so I was just track where we start to interrogate our interaction, right? The other thing that's important too is where I think for us to track in this process of like being black in America is where can I, where do I get it? If I want to get stronger, I go to the gym. If I want, if I want coffee, I go to Starbucks or some other coffee shop. But if I say I want platonic, thoughtful, tender touch from other black men. Look at the landscape of your reality and go, where do I find that? Mm. Where do I find that? Where can I be tender, vulnerable, human outside of my romantic spaces? And go, huh. Yeah. Why yeah. is that such an important component of, of the need for platonic touch to separate it from romantic touch or sexual touch? Let's really break that down. Well, I think one of the things that I found, and this is a product of the Black Brood, is that sexuality has been weaponized so much as a defining factor of who we are and how we value ourselves as men, particularly as Black men, because we hypersexualize a lot. So there's, you don't have to jump far into Google to see this idea of the Black penis being this like centerpiece of our identity, right? And so it becomes so much of the centerpiece that oftentimes Black men are contorting their energy to kind of match this propaganda narrative of defining their value. So when we talk about platonic touch, it automatically, almost like it takes the black brute narrative and the black penis and sets it aside. Not useful in this interaction. And then it asks the important question of what's left. And what's very eerie in America, when we take the black penis and we set it aside, Oftentimes, we're not tracking ourselves. There's a whole lot there we're not seeing, but we feel like nothing's left. Mm. Like we're not even worthy of being seen. We're not worthy of being celebrated. We're not worthy of being uh, uh, heard. Mm. When that's symbolic, I said that black penis, it's a whole bunch attached to that narrative, but I'm, just, I'm simplifying it for the sake of this conversation to kind of set it aside. But the idea is when we realize is what is now there. So platonic now becomes, this is a very strange concept I find to come up, is platonic touch becomes I even risk say as valuable as sexual touch, as valuable as romantic. Now, I know through just practicing myself, in some ways it's even more important. It's the nest in which everything else in my life kind of sits in. My, my sexual touch, my tenderness, my mental health, it sits in the kind of platonic human tender experience, which oftentimes is taken from or hard to find for black bodies. And so for me, when we we talk about separating the two. We want to separate it here in this context because of how hurt, and I would even say how traumatized, 
the black sexual narrative is in the United States. So platonic rarely shows up for black men. Black women, trans folks, queer folks, it actually is, they're doing a lion's share of this modeling, but cis black men, we find ourselves getting real small, real confused and under-practiced on how to, so, so the separation is, is does two things. One, it allows our humanity to come up, but B, it takes the black penis trauma story and sets it aside. And that's essential for the humanity part of us to kind of come to the surface and like show up and go, oh, what's here? And not be like, mm -hmm. I'm nothing when that's not here. So you've mentioned the black brute archetype, right? Can you elaborate a little bit more on what that includes and the parts of our humanity or black men's humanity that are left out when when that really is the prominent narrative or identity that someone is yeah. sort of constructed around. Yeah, it's huge. So I just want to name some people might not have seen this history in the United States, but if folks are able to, I encourage people to travel to Montgomery, Alabama and Brian, um, I think Stevens is last name, I hope I get his name right. Um, I know him really well, but I know a lot of Brian's in the, in the, in the black community They're doing powerful work, but Brian, I believe Stevens does this um, really powerful legacy museum. I, I don't even know how he was able to fund this, but it's the biggest monument and honoring and tracking the lynching of black people, not just black men, not black men, unfortunately, are the majority are a predominant population that's being targeted here. Um, but just to see the magnitude of how this was not something done in, 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 in like secret in the forest with some white men. This is something that was done in Times Square, families, mm -hmm. picnics. It was a big community event when the, at, at times. I mean, lynchings have all kinds of configurations, but there was, there was a, in the height of America's culture of that, there was a big, um, it was like, you want to go to a big concert, you want to go to a lynching. It was that kind of an entertaining uh, spectacle. And oftentimes the spectacle got even more um, polarizing when um, sex was involved. So rape was a favorite accusation to to bring someone to a, a, a lynching mob. The reason that's important is that, you know, we have a lot of social media of, the, of, the, of our time now from TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and so on. Well, at that period of time, newspapers were the technology of the time that spread things very quickly and a lot of power ecosystems are set up around them. And what's important is that I'm just gonna give a little bit of a, this is like a very sketch. It's really worthy to dive in deep into the research, but I'm gonna sketch here so we understand what we're talking about black brute, this wasn't just a kind of a, a one person saying something and kind of got popped. This is a, a whole local government, state government, and at times federal government supported conversation of once folks exited slavery in its formal sense, they had to justify the land grab, justify the um, brutalization of black bodies. They couldn't just go out and do that, believe it or not. They had to kind of tell a story. So one of the really important stories that they told was we're here to protect our white women from these black men. That's important. I mean, there you got lynch for reading, for organizing, but this was an important emergent thought process that started to come up. Is when you read this in the articles, you read these in the articles. This is not something I'm, you can go and this is this, is, this part is Googleable, right? We're still in Googleable territory. So that narrative over a period of you know easily a hundred plus years was really being 
spewed into the language, into the, the comic books, into the entertainment. It was weaving this story so that when we needed to, when, when, the, when America, meaning we, America needed to go in and, and, and kill, when a community had to go in and kill and hang and display a black body, it, it made sense to the community because they've had all this propaganda of this black, terrifying, un, it's really important. He's, he's big, he's strong, and he has an uncontrollable desire for white women. And the only way to protect him is white men's task is coming to protect. That's the kind of birthplace, right? So you go and Google like birth of a nation, you'll see this theme played out as one of the major first cinematic experiences in America. You find they can tell a story, no surprise, they told this one. It was compelling for the time. And so I say that because that narrative kind of birthed itself in America and it's been fed till this moment I'm talking to you. So therefore, when, when you think about that brute, kind of brutal culture and space was formed really important that that stereotype, that archetype doesn't have tenderness, intelligence, all those parts that make it very difficult to control. So that part felt important. And so as we start to develop um, uh, our media and the time it evolved, we still have an investment in not seeing black bodies as a whole, specifically black men, as complete beings, because we do that, the whole NFL collapses, the whole prison industrial collapses. I mean, I can't tell you enough. I'll, I'll land here in this moment and breathe, but I'll say I can't tell you enough. If I drove down to our local sheriff's office and I said, hey, can you all give me a million dollars? I have eight young black men here I want to support. They'd be like, how much? Get out of here. They laugh me out of the room. And those same, one of those young black men maybe has an addiction issue, maybe gets a gun, maybe goes into the local store and, and robs it, and as soon as he comes in with the gun, and, and maybe actually discharges that weapon, a million dollars is released. Helicopters are in the air. Police officers are on their way. Uh, the surgeon that has helped the person, that maybe got ahead of that by talking to me the day before and gave me a grant. I could have mentored in a nonviolent way and supported this ecosystem. I'm saying this example is that you'll find that anytime we try and get critical resource, to get ahead of a trauma story, no money. But it's time for us to be violent, all the money is there. The helicopter's in the air, the police department's fully funded. But any type of humane, you, you would, you would, you'd be surprised on the young black men that I work with that when they have a comprehensive touch plan, their violent, traumatized bodies without even professional help, which we recommend, but sometimes not accessible, drops dramatically. We haven't changed their food yet. We haven't changed even their housing yet. We changed their touch plan mm -hmm. and their violence has gone down. I mean, 80, 90% of the time, right? Because wow. I mean, it's attached to like working out and moving and food, all that's a part of your touch plan. But that's why I named that, that platonic touch piece is a real game changer, but no one's trying to practice it. And so I'm just trying to raise my flag as high as possible to remind us that when these stereotypes are gone unchecked, the carnage that happens, but when they're actually given some good, good thoughtfulness and that stereotype is, is challenged, it's amazing what kind of tender healing, I could say healing even can happen, healing can ha happen to the black male body. So that's the, that's the place where I think that narrative is, is so, so painful is that it keeps those hurts intact so well and so quietly. Oh, and, and so insidiously and, and with a, a determination, right? Yeah. The, the systems in place to oppress people of color are so intentional. Yeah. And I, I think about like what it's robbing 
younger black men of as they're emerging into the world. And if they don't experience platonic touch, non-sexual touch, non-romantic touch, how do they begin to see themselves as objects or cogs in the machine, right? And I wonder what your thoughts are and what your opinion is about the relationship that the absence of platonic touch has on black men's relationship with love and with sex. Oh my goodness. You know, it's one, it's one of the most tender parts of this work is that I feel like in the last, for me, the last seven years, I've gotten really exposed to the consent culture and, and really thinking about what that means in building relationships. And even as evolving, I, I get chills because to me, one of the places I probably grieve the most is where black men on one of the spectrum are taken advantage of by their romantic spaces because they have, they're so chronically undertouched. The, um, the, the simple story is when you're young and you have, a, if you're blessed to have parents that tend to you, you're born and you were nursed, you were held, you were hugged and you're like, oh, this is heaven. Maybe I just love my mom or parents, whoever's caring for me. I just touch is like baby's medicine. We know this keeps them alive. Studies show that this touch is important. And right around you go from like literally being tucked in your mom's womb and hearing her heartbeat coming out, maybe being nursed and held. And in short five years, you go from all that touch to almost zero when you're too heavy to pick up. That's kind of when we start tracking young black women. They're too heavy to pick up easily. Their touch goes from almost constant to nothing. And quickly they understand their next window of contact and they'll get this through kind of media, video games, mainstream culture, is going to be sexual. And it's going to be right around 12 to 17 years old. That's the next time frame. So they got to now sit with no real touch, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, almost 10 years, sometimes even longer, before they get any touch. And while, they're, while their nervous system is trying to figure out how to grow without having all the touch because they're black male bodies and blah, 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 this is America, capitalism is prioritized, their body is building up this like, I'm undertouched, I'm all kind of, it's coming out in anger, frustration, sports, addiction, all these things are impacting us, we navigate at different levels, but we get to maybe 12 or 13 and all now at that point we're exposed to hip hop music or the mainstream culture music, all the cinema, they say, oh, if you posture, Closer to, as close as you can to the black brute, you will get touched. The music videos have brothers dancing dancing, and all the hot women are behind them. This is what you get when you start to be the black brute. Not being tender, not being vulnerable, but the black brute narrative. You will, you become an NFL player. You become an athlete. You will get this touch. So all of a sudden, my romantic space is now holding 10, 15, sometimes 20 years of this partner is going to now fix, hold, handle all of my undertouched needs. And if they don't, they're inadequate and they're not a good partner. I mean, I'm really simplifying a big trauma story, but it plays out in a lot of different subtle ways where then consent becomes problematic, where it's hard for me here knows if I'm sitting here 10 years in my body of being crunk and untouched. And I don't even realize I have options for platonic. I think all of this be sufficed in my sexual space, right. which is a lot to bring into a sexual space. And this is not going intellectually. This is all going to kind of unconsciously until we slow it down, maybe a therapist or a touch activist or someone who talks about it, it becomes clear. Really just shows up of like, I just need so many, I just, I just, I'm, just, I'm, just a, I'm just a brother, I just need a lot of women. I just need, I'm just a player, I'm just a player. You're chronically untouched, you're not a player. You're chronically yeah. untouched. And maybe you might need multiple partners for some level, but you'll find that when you get emotionally nervous system settled into a touch plan that's not exclusively sexual 
not pouring all of your touch needs into that sexual container. You spread it out and you have earth. You're, you walk on the earth, you meditate, and you you have your fellow brothers you're, you're cuddling and holding with. You have your other animals. Maybe you have cats and dogs or whatever animals you have to touch. So really expressing, making intention around. You'll find that all of a sudden the sexual energy now has become smaller, but becomes much more human and much more attuned to actually what you need, right? And so a lot of folks, you know, are, are you know, sometimes I think you're hungry. Um, you probably drink some water first because sometimes you're thirsty and you think you're hungry. I think a lot of people have that kind of same problem. It's like, ah, I need a lot of sex. Actually, let's let's build a let's get a touch plan for a week and then see how see what happens mm-hmm. to your sex drive. It doesn't necessarily go less or more, but it becomes more informed. It, your sex drive becomes more it gets ears oftentimes. First thing happens is it gets ears. It gets you listen to the person that's around them. It's not just like grabbing and taking. It's like, oh, well, I have a touch plan. My 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 sex drive grows ears, which is a, is a really important thing to have attached to your sexual story and your sexual drive. It needs to have ears. And so ears are, are what we, we try and invite in when someone has um, a touch plan. So for me, it is one of the most under-discussed, under-therapied, shaping forces of romantic connection in almost all relationships in America, but I would say particularly black male relationships. And I'll land here and say this last story is I was working with a couple as a black male and a white woman and it happens to all kinds of dynamics but happened to be an interracial couple and they said and, and we, we, we we track the fact that every time she wanted her partner to do something she would just pull back on the touch either be sexual or personal and he would do whatever she wanted. I don't care if it's put gas in the gas tank at, a, at, at 2 o'clock in the morning and it's freezing cold or if it's pay a bill. Whatever it is she would just turn down the touch and he was so in an understatement, he would just be like, okay, okay, I can't lose my only source of touch. So I will submit to your, and, and we've seen this happen in reverse, so it's not just one way, but he, his particular space, because he was under touch, where a lot of people arrive, it was shaping their entire dynamic for years and years and years. And our goal wasn't, it's not a relationship counseling structure. We were working on his chronic touch need, but as we were digging into it, this came up and we're like, oh, snap. And, and she said, I'm terrified. For him to have a touch plan that actually heals and balances them, because I have no more leverage. I need to figure out another way to communicate. That's not just leveraging mm-hmm. his undertouched trauma story. This happens all the time. Yeah, I can see that, right? Where where partners get balanced in this sort of uh, dance of getting their needs met indirectly. And what can happen when people start to heal that trauma and heal their nervous systems is they there's a gap between feeling better and really knowing how to practice assertiveness in partnership and a different kind of equity when you're talking about how to balance each other's competing needs. Ladies, did you know that one of the most common complaints from women about their sexual health is a frustrating low libido? Our sex drives can decline, but it's also treatable. Addy, or Flibansarin, is FDA approved and has been clinically proven to increase sexual desire in certain premenopausal women who are bothered by a low libido. So if you feel like you've lost your desire and you want to get it back, stop falling for the snake oils and ask your doctor about Addy today or go to Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Addy is for premenopausal women with acquired generalized hypoactive sexual desire disorder, HSDD, who have not had problems with low sexual desire in the past, who have low sexual desire no matter the type of sexual activity, the situation, or the sexual partner. The low sexual desire is troubling to them and is not due to a medical or mental health problem, problems in the relationship, or medicine or other drug use. 
Addy is not for use in men or to enhance sexual performance. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is increased if you drink one to two standard alcoholic drinks close in time to your Addy dose. Wait at least two hours after drinking before taking Addy at bedtime. Your risk of severe low blood pressure and fainting is also increased if you take certain prescriptions, over-the-counter or herbal medications, or have liver problems. Low blood pressure and fainting can happen when you take Addy even if you don't drink alcohol or take other medicines. Do not take if you are allergic to any of the ingredients in Addy. Allergic reactions may include hives, itching or trouble breathing. Sleepiness, sometimes serious, can occur. Common side effects include dizziness, nausea, tiredness, difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, and dry mouth. See full PI and medication guide, including box warning at addy.com forward slash PI or call 844-PINK-PILL. Go to addy.com and use code GETNAKED for a $10 telemedicine appointment to find out if Addy is right for you. In your experience, when men start to have more touch, more platonic touch, what are some of the first things that they notice in terms of their own healing, their own peace, and the way that they show up differently for themselves or in partnership or in the world in general? Grief. Mm. I think men start to grieve almost immediately, which speaks to another trauma story we all have is on top of touch. We don't cry. I didn't cry for 20 years. I got my tears back. I'm 41. I got my tears back nine, 10 years ago. I started crying again. That's 20 years of literally not crying. And I I and all kinds of carnage. So one of the things that first thing I see is it starts this kind of grief of like, oh snap, like I just I almost like depression. Almost like a, like what? Like I could have had all this all this time. It's been 10 years since I felt this kind of connection. I just I've had 10 years since I had a brotherhood or a connection or a community or being seen in this tender way. And now that I'm all open, I'm actually practicing mu- extra muscle now I have of like having to close up in certain environments and maybe open as one little space where I can be tender and then close up to see how much they're not being seen in the mainstream world, mm. in their business world. So it's like, it's like they look around, it's, like, it's almost like you put on a pair of glasses and you really can see how much you've been missed as a full human being. So the grief, right? Yeah. And so grief to action, which we have in our nonprofits, the desert space with, you know, super dope structure and a couple of the spaces to just like scream, let it out, find your voice, find your grief, find your tears, yeah, find your yeah. tears. And so that's one thing we first, when people start notice a grief, right? Like, you imagine it's like relief and great. That's still a couple of months, sometimes years out of really finding the joy in mm-hmm. being human in an environment that hasn't been seen. So a lot of it's just like shock a little bit and a little bit of grief, a little bit. There's a significant amount of grief potentially. Some folks don't go into the grief space, some people drop right into the joy and appreciation and like, oh, I'm in. And oftentimes those folks have either partners or communities that can embrace their practice. But a lot of black men that grow up in these environments, they don't have a collection of 20 black men in their community that are down to like, we got you, we have you, we're here. They almost have to like come out as a human. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I actually deserve cuddles and touches. Hey, brothers, I know we've been playing basketball every weekend, but actually, can we take an hour and practice sitting and holding hands, listen to each other, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a big effort. So that there's a level of like trying to stay creative and find that space. I think the other thing that happens is their relationships do improve dramatically. I have not seen a person that has developed a touch plan and access to attendance that has not enhanced their relationship romantically and in their other, other interpersonal relationships. Another thing I think is that their stress level. We're talking about blood pressure going down. We're t- I'm not talking about this is a, a magical like just like drinking water and sleep. It's the sex thing that saves your life. It's that kind of thing. It's like you sleep, you drink water, and you start crying and, and get in touch. Surprise, surprise, the body responds positive. But blood pressure, um, noticing injuries in your body that you even notice because I what part of the comfort touch plan is we kind of just touching ourselves, just rubbing our skin, just mm-hmm. noticing that I got this from a veterinarian. When I was in homeschool many years ago, we talked about just like, oh, like if you pet your dog, you can pet it, 
catch a dog with intention. If you see any bumps, or it, it, it jumps to the side. Touch with, the, with really tracking the health of your dog. What we have in our touch plan is self-touch. You get up in the morning, say so meditation. Not in the complicated, you touch your body and go, huh, how's my neck feel swollen? Is it tender? Huh? So we just got to notice in our body. What you'll find is that you're going to be more in your body yeah. as you build. So your touch plan is that sometimes you're waiting for someone to come and touch you. It's also you touching yourself. A lot of um, male bodies haven't took the time. And we're seeing a lot more on Instagram. We're seeing a lot of people like de- de- doing a lot of good meditation on this, but still, still like I don't see enough of it in masculine spaces for us to really just tend to our bodies, to touch ourselves in a platonic way and just like, what does that mean? And so simplifies like that. So that, that, that kind of realizing your body, coming into your body, those kind of simple practices really allow us to drop into the magnitude of, of I'm here. Oh, I'm here. And another thing I do, and this is part of my touch plan too, is we sing. People are like, ah, Aaron, Aaron, I'm not a singer. That's a hurt we can deal with later. But in the context of the touch plan is you singing, sounding, making sound with your voice as an adult in ways that quote unquote adult people and black men and adults don't do is so important of getting that liberation play back into our bodies. So find that way that the voice is a part of a touch plan. Often we do with song circles, we'll sing and people are like, can't, I'm not ready for touch yet, but boy, I can, I can really enjoy a collective hum and sing until I can get to that point to trust that holds your hands to reach for you. So there's a way that we start noticing our voice comes back, our voice, our body. We get in our bodies and our voice comes back. Our grief is here. It's oftentimes layered and custom to each person, but those are general senses of shifts in our body, shifts in our world that we see when someone starts to take on or to move in a, in, a, in a semi-professional state or it's an amateur of like, I'm going to get more touch in my life. It's amazing what starts to move when you do it in a conscious way in a way that's like tracking the way, ways you've been hurt and the way trauma has been shaping your life prior to now. So I imagine that some folks listening might want to get this going with the people that they know. And what are some recommendations that you have for how people can start talking about this with their friends if they're used to an interaction that really is limited to sports or something competitive or something performative, right? This is the opposite of performance. This is about being and receiving and and being generative and mutual. So what's some language folks can use to start like that narrative with their friends? Yeah. So the first thing we realize is this is part of the most complicated part of this whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is listening. We always say listening is the first hug. Um, so what I would say is that if you're like, hey, I heard this podcast, this brother's on to something, I can't come to California, I can't be a part of it for a reason I'm otherwise, I need to start this right now. The first thing I would do is get my cell phone or timer or stopwatch and sit down for just like three minutes and just say, Boop, for three minutes, I'm just gonna listen to my body. Just gonna, it's almost like a meditation, but simply gonna practice what is it, when do I become anxious? When do my ADHD or my sugar high or my coffee, whatever it is, when do I start to kind of feel like I need to do something? It's like, how can I attune myself to my body? And three minutes goes off. I then recommend you go to your partner, your friend, your cousin, someone that loves and cares for you and say, can you sit here for three minutes? And if you feel comfortable to do so, I would just offer you to hold their hand. So there's like a simple hand hold on that and complicate, just a comfortable way to sit and hold hands. And I'm not going to say anything other than maybe answer this one question of what kind of touch do I feel my nervous system needs right now. Mm. Just thinking about it. You might say that, you might just sit with that one question. You might speak about it in, in detail of all the kind of touch plan you, but just, just like what kind of, just 
And that person just listens to you for a minute. It might be silence to go on your head. They're just going to give you good attention, looking you in the face or near your face or, hey, just basically whatever good attention looks like in that relationship. And you just sit there. And in my Aaron, this is this is not sexy at all. Aaron, where is the where is the rump, the two mountains and lose the 10 pounds and then the touch plan? But I want to name that the one of the hardest parts about this entire process is the success or failure. This is in our touch activist program. This is in our one on ones this is before I even had the vocabulary for it. Your ability to listen mm-hmm. fundamentally is the game. It's the water to the diet. If you're working out, your ability to listen. And the reason that's complicated is because in the United States, we don't listen as a culture. It's not like you, Jonathan, and, 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 and Missouri, you're not listening. I mean, as a culture, we don't listen. So I just want to name that we're kind of in this culture not listening. So it's going to feel radical. Three minutes is going to feel like 20 minutes. You're like, that's, a, that's three minutes? That's a long time the first time you do it. Mm-hmm. But I say that because that's what we're going to build off of. You can just do that once a day, three minutes, hold someone's hand that cares about your partner, friend, ideally another black male if you're a black male, but obviously whatever person that is hard for you. And it's track. Oh, if my, my partner sits down, I can hold their hand. I can speak all the time. This is great. My brother sits down. It's harder. When my, my, my other male neighbor who I love dearly and we've, we've gone hunting together, we've done all these things together. When he sits down and holds my hand, it feels, it feels uncomfortable. Like yeah. just notice that. So the idea is that I would say, Three minutes, once a day, multiple times a week, practice that. Mm. And that will give you a sense of arriving. And it's not as unsexy as it is, you'd be surprised at what three minutes a day. And that can go to 10 eventually and 20. But I say three because I've done this long enough know that we start, start, start you know, you, you bench press. Don't start with like 400 pounds. Start with just the bar maybe. This is the bar. It's an important weight. But start with the, start with just a little bit of weight. And folks, folks don't know what that is. The bar is forty five pounds, and generally lifting you still kind of you start there. But those aren't lifting. These ideas start start at, at an early stage. Start mm-hmm. slow. Try to listen to the person around around you. But listen to your body as well. What is your body telling you? And that was what the math I would use to kind of start you out. That's what I would say if you want to start out today. That's really lovely. How can how can people work with you if they want to, you know, get more involved and be more intentional with this practice? Yeah. So we're just in our second month of our touch activist training program. So we have folks that are signed up to say, I, to do this in three months is difficult, but I realized I needed more practitioners. And some people have some basic framework. So we have a three month training program for folks that say, I would like to intentionally interrupt this trauma story in America. Right. And we focus on black men because it's three months. If we focus on all men, it'd be like a, a year long progress. If we look at like trans and queer and all those other ones, we'd be probably, it, 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 we have other programs coming right now where folks in our population, I feel like is, is underseen in this particular narrative. So this particular training program is um, for touch activists, people that want to become touch activists. And then we have another side of it, which is for the black men or folks that would like to be held in touch. And so these are where folks that come out of this training at different levels might could support. And this could be activists could be a phone call holding space or actually in person. So I'm in Southern California. Um, I'm in the Mojave Desert, but we have a site in Northern California as well. We're going to have several summits for folks to come and gather and we'll do an intensive immersive weekend. We'll work on building your touch plan. So that is one of the kind of places we you get to touch activists is the end of like, I want to be a touch activist. Everyone's welcome to that. And you're like, I want, I want to be held. I want to be, I want to start up for folks that are graduate program. I want to work with you one-on-one or whatever it might be. And we can build touch plans for folks. And that could be, I have an eight week program. I work with folks and I have a 60 week program. I work for longer folks. And I usually have a bigger team for that. But folks are building their touch plan for themselves. This could be up in virtual, ideally it's in person, but obviously I ever can move across the country and get there. So virtual is now um, a very uh, good option to build a plan. And so we can we can go to the ways. And now you can go to cutproject.org and email us. 
Um, you can go to Holistic Resistance to email us. Um, and, and, and all those places are great places to, um, you know, get kind of the download. And actually next year, I think mid next year, we'll be releasing an online course that'll go in conjunction with our, our, our live course. So people that are like, I just want to get the tools at my own pace and best practices. What does the physical set look like? How do you wrestle without wrestling? How do you physically process physically and hold grief with someone in their body? How do you do the techniques of that? So we'll have that all kind of you know, archived into an online course, but that's gonna be a little bit halfway to next year. So we're still building that right now. We're mostly going live because the work is so um, tender and so interactive that we'll make sure we get an, as many live sessions as possible before we go to kind of the virtual. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for, for coming on to the show and telling me a little bit, telling my listeners a little bit about what you've been working on. I think this is probably going to be one of the most powerful ways to shift what's happening in our world when it comes to oppression. You know, when people are dehumanized, that objectification eradicates their own inner knowing, it eradicates their ability to feel safe in the world and touches the antidote, right? Yeah. We know that touch and skin to skin contact can elicit so much, um, so much trust in one another when it's consented touch and yeah. and desired touch and nurtured touch. It, it really does help people move out of a survival state in their bodies and into a more grounded, regulated um, and holistic way of, of feeling okay in their skin and, and feeling okay is the foundation that's necessary to really thrive. So yeah. thank you for this program. Thank you for talking about the program. And I'm just so thrilled about the work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you for backing it. Yeah. Amazing. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I will see you here next week. Thank you for listening to Get Naked with Dr. Kate. Stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Kate Balistrary. Everyone has questions and I want to answer as many as I can. So feel free to email your questions to question at getnakedpodcast.com. If you're looking for a free 30-minute consultation with me or someone on my team, visit modernintimacy.com. And don't forget to join our newsletter, Modern Intimacy, on Substack. Let's meet back here next week. A new episode drops every Tuesday. Disclaimer, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy and does not constitute a professional relationship with Dr. Kate Balistrieri or Modern Intimacy. This podcast is strictly for education and entertainment purposes only. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.